to Acts 27 and verse 20. I'd appreciate that as we study the Word of God together this morning. Okay, when last we left Paul, he was in the midst of a storm. Let's see how that's going this morning. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this time together. Thank you that we can be with your people, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and that we can share in the teaching of your word, in the singing of worship songs, in the teaching of our children in the greenhouse, our youth, junior and senior high as well. Thank you, Lord, for what you will do this morning because we know that our time together is not wasted. We know, Lord, that you are doing something in each of our hearts. And we pray that we will be open to it and obedient to listen to you. And as always, thankful for a salvation we do not deserve and could not have earned apart from the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and put believing in him, not ourselves, not our religious rituals, not our good works, but believing in Jesus alone. Thank you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Acts chapter 27 and verse 20 tells us this, When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Now, into that situation comes the man of God, Paul, who, amazingly, he is a prisoner on this ship, trying to get to Rome, which will not get there because of the shipwreck that we'll be studying about this morning and next week. Paul takes charge. Paul's in control. Paul is the leader. Paul leads the others. Now, up to this point, they have refused his leadership, but from this point on, we will see how he takes charge of the situation. I, I want you to remember what this chapter is about. Number one, what we learn about God in this chapter is once again we see that He's sovereign. He is the sovereign and protecting God. He's sovereign and protecting over the church. He's sovereign and protecting over His servant Paul. He's sovereign and protecting over us, His children. The second thing that we see in Chapter 27 is what we learn about Paul. And we learn several things about Paul. There is a great emphasis on his leadership, as I said a moment ago, as well as we see that into this hopeless situation steps Paul, the man of God. And sometimes God will place you and me in those situations. And into that situation steps you and me, the man or woman or young person of God to be used of God, pointing others to God, pointing others to faith, pointing others to the Word of God. Once again, we see how one person's dedication and faith can make all the difference. Again, we see how one person's dedication and faith can make all the difference. 
Now, one devotional writer writing about chapter 27 said this, During the perilous voyage by sea to Rome, God assures Paul in a dream that he will stand before Caesar to bear witness to the gospel. What God does not tell Paul is that before he arrives in Rome, he will experience shipwreck and snakebite. I almost entitled the message, What We Don't Expect from God. <laughs> what we don't. Paul knew that he would be delivered to Rome. Paul knew that he had to testify before Caesar. But what would happen to him in between, he didn't know. You and I know our destination in Jesus Christ. But what happens to us in between, we don't know. And we have to do what Paul did. We have to trust God. We have to help others to trust God. Well, we've just read that the sun and the stars didn't appear for many days. They finally gave up hope of being saved. After the men, verse 21, it had, a good, had gone a, a long time without food. Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. I like the way Eugene Peterson paraphrased verse 21 in the message. He said this, With our appetite for food and life long gone, Paul took his place in our midst and said, Friends, you really should have listened to me back in Crete. In other words, I told you so. The message goes on, we could have avoided all this trouble and trial, but there's no need to dwell on that now. From now on, things are looking up. Now, I don't think that Paul is so much, you know, making fun of them for not listening to him or saying, I, I, I told you so. I think what he's saying, you, you, didn't take your, you didn't take my advice before, but maybe you're prone to take it now. You didn't take my advice before, but maybe you're prone to take it now. Well, we're going to do a couple of things this morning. We're going to look at, we're going to continue with our list from last week. We got the first three on our list of how to make sense of the storms in your life and my life. There are six ways to make sense of the storms in your life and in my life. We're going to get the other, the last three dealing with difficulties in our lives. Then we're going to look at the, the passage itself, and then we're going to examine four things about Paul's leadership. So before we're done this morning, Lord willing, <laughs> we're going to finish our list of how to understand the storms and trials, difficulties of our lives. We're going to also study the passage, and then we're going to see four things about Paul's leadership in this passage. All right, let's look at these, the other three uh, ways to understand and make sense of the storms in our lives. The first three are in your recap, so you have those. Uh, storms do not always come because of some disobedience on our part. Sometimes God just allows us to go through storms. The second thing we learn about making sense of the difficulties and storms of life is storms bring out what is inside. Storms bring out our true character. Storms show who we really are. The third thing 
that we learned last week is that in spite of storms, God is still in control and he's still furthering his purposes. In spite of storms, God is still in control and he's still furthering his purposes. The fourth thing that we're going to learn that we're learning about making sense of the difficulties and storms of life is that storms cannot separate us from the presence of God. Storms cannot separate us from the presence of God. In fact, it's in storms that we often see more clearly the presence and the power and protection of God. Storms cannot separate us from the presence of God. It's in storms that we often see most clearly the presence and power and protection of God. The fifth thing we learn about making sense of storms in our lives is that storms open the door to serve others. Storms open the door to serve others, particularly to serve non-believers. Remember, uh, and I think we introduced this thought last week, I'd like to pursue it a little bit this week, and that is this. Our journey through life is as much for others as it is for ourselves. In other words, what God allows us to go through, what God allows us to endure, is as much as for the people around us, both the believers and the unbelievers, as it is for us. We need to give the people around us, both believers and unbelievers, we need to give them perspective on life. They don't have the biblical perspective. Uh, the unbelievers don't. The unbelievers don't have the biblical perspective. We need to give them a biblical perspective on life, on what is important, on what to pursue, on how to live. We need to give them the biblical perspective and it's in our storms and their storms that we're enabled to do that. You know, you and I will never be more open to the Word of God than when we're going through a storm. The Christians that we know, our brothers and sisters in Christ, will never be more open to God than when they're going through a storm. The unbelievers we know, will never be more open to the gospel than when they're going through a storm. And God places us strategically in that situation, even as Paul is placed strategically in, on this ship in this storm. The one thing I want you to remember, Paul knew that he had to get to Rome. Why? Why did he know he had to get to Rome? God told him so. God told him so. Paul could have thought about himself. He could have just said, well, it's all about me. I'm going to get to Rome, no matter what happens to these other 275. But he didn't. He cared and he took leadership. We need to give the people around us perspective, both believers and unbelievers. Sometimes unbelievers don't have perspective, God's perspective. We need to give them perspective. We need to witness by our words as well as our lives. We need to witness by our words as well as our lives. The interesting thing is we were clear as we studied 
chapter 26 that, that Paul's defense was all about his testimony. But what I want us to see is that chapter 27 is as much about Paul's testimony as chapter 26 was. You know, we read about what happened in the storm, but we don't realize that also is Paul's testimony. That also is Paul's testimony. Paul knew that he was going to get safely to Rome. Chapter 23 and verse 11 of the book of Acts made that clear. The issue in chapter 27, the issue for Paul is that there are friends of his on board. There is a crew. There are other passengers. And there, are, there is a ship and a cargo to be concerned about. Storms. Open the door to serve others, particularly non-believers. And number six, number six, storms, uh, and this kind of follows on number five, storms open the door in a big way for us to witness. Storms open the door in perhaps a way that nothing else can do to witness to those around us. So storms do not always come because of some disobedience, number one. Number two, storms bring out what is inside our true character. Number three, in spite of storms, God is still in control, furthering his purposes. Number four, storms cannot separate us from the presence of God. Sometimes we see his presence more clearly and power and protection. Number five, storms open the door to serve others, particularly non-believers. And number six, storms open the door to witness. That's the six ways that can help us to make sense of the storms in our lives. Well, verses 21 and 22 tell us that they hadn't eaten for some time. As we read in verse 21, after the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete, then you would have spared yourselves this damage and fuss and loss, excuse me. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. Wow. Think about the courage it took for Paul to say that. Not one of you is going to be lost. They are in the, the wind is howling. The waves are licking at the ship. The ship is beginning to come apart that they have to put ropes around it to keep it together. And Paul says, by the way, you're all going to be okay. The ship will be lost. It's only material. But you're going to be okay. Can you, manage, can you imagine the courage it took to say that? Can you imagine how much he trusted God? We're going to learn as we read the next few verses that he has had a visitation from an angel with a message from God that all would be spared. And he immediately announces the message. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Keep up your courage. By the way, he says that a couple of times in this passage. Verse 22, keep up your courage. Verse 25, 
He tells them, keep up your courage. Paul can encourage them because he has God's word to back him up. He has God's word to back him up. And so the, the idea of keeping up their courage there is in some context, the words that are translated, keep up your courage, mean to be cheerful, to cheer up. The idea is to have, to be in good spirits. Now that's a bold statement, don't you think? The wind's howling, the waves are licking at the ship, the ship is about, it seems to be ready to break into pieces, and Paul's saying, be of good cheer, have good spirits. That seems counterintuitive, but he had a word from God. He had the word of God to share with them, and he encourages them with a message from God. Sometimes we say, well, you know, God doesn't talk to me through angels. Where's my word from God? Well, if you're holding a Bible, you have it. If you're holding a Bible, you have a word from God. And in case you need a specific reference, I'll tell you one place that you can go to that I've gone to many times in my life is Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, where it says, He hath said, that is God. That's King James. You know, you can tell when a person started out with King James because the haths come in. You know what I mean? He has said, then he quotes the Old Testament. I will what? Anybody know here? Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. And it's interesting, but the construction there in Greek is so strong that it could be translated, I will never, 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 yeah, watch the steps. <laughs> Leave you or forsake you. That's how strong a, a word that is. So we have the word of God. We have the Bible. Every, every word of which is truth and reliable and faithful. So before you say, well, Paul had an angel speaking to him God's word, what do I have? You have a completed word of God. And there are many passages from that word, not just Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, but there are many passages from that word of God that we can share with others. That we can help both ourselves as we go through the storms of life and help others as we go through the storms of life. Well, this message is verses 23 through 26. Last night, an angel of the God whose I am now, I want you to underline these, we'll come back to them in a minute. Last night, an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve. Those are two things that should be underlined. Whom, whose I am and whom I serve. Stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. In other words, Paul 
the angel is, is showing that Paul wasn't just concerned for himself. It wasn't just me, 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 me with Paul. It was concern for the other passengers, concern for the crew, concern for the soldier, concern for the prisoners, concern for Paul's friends. He must have brought all of them to God in prayer. Because God assures him, Paul, don't worry. You're concerned for all these people, but don't worry because they're going to be okay. The God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage. There's that be of good cheer or be in good spirits. Keep up your courage. Men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. There's a couple of things I, I want to look at as we go through here. For Paul's sake, God is going to save 275 other lives. For God's sake. Or for Paul's sake, God is going to save the others. I like the way one writer put it, the world has no idea how much it owes to the mercy of God, to the presence of it, of, in it of righteous men. The world has no idea how much it owes in the mercy of God to the presence in it of righteous men. You see, God will do much for this world because you and I are still here. If you wonder what this world's going to be like after we're taken out in the rapture and the resurrection, if you wonder what this world is going to be like after the church is raptured from it, just look at 2 Thessalonians. And it talks about what the world will be like. Just think of what this world, just, just think of how difficult this world is right now. Just think of how evil this world is right now. Just think about the horrid things that happen in this world. Think about the hard things that happen to your friends and my friends, your family and my family. Just think about those things. And then think about what this world would be like if there was no evidence of righteousness here. Because that's what it's going to be like when the church is taken out. The writer is right. The world has no idea how much it owes in the mercy of God to the presence of righteous men. We get a good example of that. <coughs> Excuse me. In Genesis 18:26, Abraham and the angel of the Lord, will you spare Sodom if there are just, and then he goes down the list. For the sake of even ten righteous men. God does so much in this world because you and I are in it. God does good in this world because you and I are in it. And when we are taken out of it, I can't imagine what it will be like. 
A second thing I want to see that we, we, we look in this passage is, uh, as one writer put it, believers instinctively pray in the predicaments of life. Do you ever notice that? When, when we get into the predicaments of life, the very first thing we do is go to God and pray. Even if we have ignored Him morning after morning after morning after morning of our lives, when we get into a predicament, bam, we're there. God, here, remember me? Here I am. I'm needy. Even if we neglect Him. On the other days of our lives, in that moment, when we're in the midst of a predicament, we instinctively pray. Paul prayed. Paul prayed not just for himself, but he prayed for the others on that ship. You and I need to be in prayer. Uh, yes, and it's okay to go to God in your predicament. Don't get me wrong. Don't, don't say, well, I wasn't there yesterday morning. I guess I better not go today in my predicament. No, you can go to God anytime. God doesn't hold grudges. Did you ever realize that? <laughs> he doesn't hold grudges. Uh, he would like to hear our voices. He would like to hear us regularly. But go to God in your need. Go to God in the needs of others around you. Paul prayed not just for himself, but for the others in the ship. We're reminded in our predicaments, we're reminded in our trials, that is necessary to pray. To pray to God. If you're involved in the ministry, pray for the people in your ministry. If you're an Awana leader, pray for your kids by name. I happen to live with somebody who does that. Every kid in TNT gets prayed for by name. If you're involved in Awana, pray for the kids by name. If you're involved in the greenhouse, pray for the kids by name. Whatever you and I are involved in, pray for them. Pray for the non-Christians you know. Pray for the Christians you know. And you can pray, obviously, in the predicaments of life, but also pray every day. Bring them before God. Paul says something really great here. He says, for I have faith in God, that it will, it will happen just as he told me. <laughs> Paul said, if God said it, I can believe it, and so can you. If God said it, I can believe it, and so can you. I like the way G. Campbell Morgan said it. Most of us today don't know who G. Campbell Morgan is. He was, or was, he's in heaven. He was a great student and teacher of the word of God. And about Paul's statement, I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. 
Campbell Morgan says this, This was an affirmation of faith. To pagan men under stress of great and great difficulty, Luke's story of the stormy voyage and the shipwreck is one of the most graphic things in literature. It is centered in Paul and his quiet courage throughout. So far as he was concerned, he knew that it was impossible that he should perish, for had not the Lord stood by him in the night more than two years ago and assured him that he should witness in Rome... All through, he comforted and strengthened those who sailed with him. When things were at their worst, an angel came to him and told him that he should stand before Caesar and that none of those sailing with him should be lost. Then it was that he made his affirmation. The value of a definite confession of confidence is very great. Let me translate. He's saying that when you and I communicate to the people around us that we have every confidence in the word of God and every confidence in the God of the Word, we are of great value to them. We are of great value to them. Campbell Morgan goes on to say, it is often that men who do not profess themselves to believe in God do believe in a man who does believe in God or a woman or a young person. and are prepared to follow Him. How much of influence we lose by slowness to confess the faith that is in us. The man who with definiteness and, oh boy, you try to say that, definiteness, will declare his belief in God as against all contrary circumstances is making other men put God to the test and so is winning victories for God never fails. Now, there's, there's so much here, and I, uh, there's so much I don't want to miss this morning. Notice here, Paul said, I said I'd come back to this. I'm doing it. <laughs> the God whom I am, whose I am, and whom I serve. Paul learned a lesson in his life that every one of us needs to learn, is, and that is we are bought with a price, and we are no longer our own. Paul said, I am, I am God's. My body is God's. My mind is God's. My hands are God's. My thoughts are God's. My days are God's. They all belong to God. We need to get to that point in life. It's, it's the reason I've shared this with you before, but for me it's very personal because it's the reason that my whole life changed and I left a career I really enjoyed so that I could be in the ministry and study and teach the Word of God. Because soon after becoming a believer in Jesus Christ, I kept hearing in my mind the words of God, you are bought with a price and you're no longer your own. You're bought with a price. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean everybody who realizes that, has to go into the ministry. Uh, if you're called to it, you should. If you're not called to it, you shouldn't. You may be called to fly airplanes for God. That's great. That's fantastic. But the thing you and I have to understand is we are not our own. And Paul understood that clearly. The God who, whose I am. One writer said, He looks upon God as His rightful owner, 
who has a sovereign incontestable title to him and dominion over him. We are more his than our own because his we are, therefore we are bound to serve him. We're bought with a price. And we belong to God and therefore we should serve him. The second thing Paul says here is that the God whose I am and whom I serve. The word there is latruo. And uh, it's an interesting word, the, the word serve. It doesn't mean the service of literature, or excuse me, liturgy, or the service of ritual, or the service of religion, or serving at an altar. It is the word, the, the uh, word cognate to it is found in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2 where we read, which is your spiritual service of worship. Well, Romans 12, let's read that passage. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. That's the same thing there as Paul is talking about in the book of Acts. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul said, the God whose I am and who I serve Again, I think the message helps us to understand what kind of service Paul is talking about here, both in Romans and here in the book of Acts. In the message, it translates this way. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. That's the kind of service that we're talking about here. That's the kind of worship that we're talking about here. That's what Paul means. I love the way Peterson paraphrased it. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life. Take all of that, place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit right into it without even thinking. Boy, that's powerful. That's powerful. That's such a wonderful paraphrase of what Paul's saying in Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's the kind of service that Paul is talking about about in Acts chapter 27. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life. In other words, every part of our lives should be given to God's service. Even the parts that we think aren't, well, that's, that's not, I, I do that when I go to church. No, this is talking about what I give to God every day in every part of my life. That's the kind of service that Paul is talking about here. Well, 
Verse 27, let's, let's uh, hit the highlights here and then we're going to talk about Paul's leadership. On the 14th night, this is verse 27, on the 14th night we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. Uh, by the way, that was a, that's not the Adriatic Sea, the Adriatic we think of today. It was a much broader part of the, uh, to the east of Sicily that of the Mediterranean Sea that he's talking about here. When about midnight the sailors sensed they were approaching land, they took soundings, which means to throw the lead. That was the idea. They would have a rope with a piece of lead. They would put it into the water and see how far it went down, measure, and they could tell how far they were from the bottom. So they took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep, which means they're doing what? Getting closer to land. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ships, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow, but they were really going to try to head for land. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. You see, they were trying to save themselves when... Paul had already said, God's going to save you, and God does it his way. So the soldiers cut the ropes and held the lifeboat and let it fall away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food you needed to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. Paul believes God. Now, do you notice how Paul is suddenly the captain of this ship? He gives orders. There's a centurion on board. Paul gives the orders. Because he's the man who knows God. After he said this, he took some bread. Notice that when Paul speaks he also, as, a, as a leader, he also acts as a leader. He led them. Now, by the way, this isn't the Lord's Supper. This is just a meal. But Paul led them by eating himself. He not only told them to eat, but he ate himself in front of them all. Then he broke, broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves all together. By the way, that's, that's what that kind of leadership does. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. Whatever grain was left in the hole was now tossed into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could, cutting loose the anchors. They left them in the sea all the same, at the same time. They untied the ropes that had held the rudders. They hoisted the foresail to the wind, made for the beach, but the ship struck a sandbar. They were going to run the ship aground, but they wanted to be close to land when it happened. Instead, they hit a sandbar and the bow stuck fast and would not move and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get the land. The rest were to get there on planks or on pieces of the ship in this way. Underline these words, everyone reached land. How? In safety. 
No surprise, right? It shouldn't be any surprise. God said they'd all be saved. God said for Paul's sake they'd all be saved. In our last few minutes, I told you that we talk about Paul's leadership. Let me give you four things about Paul's leadership in this passage. You can clearly see that Paul has taken over the ship. They are following his instructions, his directions. And everyone on that ship is saved because Paul believed what God told him and he communicated what God told him. So four things about Paul's leadership. Number one, Paul encouraged them with the word of God. He used the word of God. When, when you're helping, when you're encountering somebody, whether they be a believer or a non-believer, or, or whether it's you who is encountering the difficulty in your life, remember to go to the word of God. Remember to go to the word of God. That's the only thing that can help others is the word of God. Paul encouraged them with the word of God. You and I must be people of the book. You and I must know the word of God. You and I must be prepared to use it, to apply it in every situation. That's why we are to, to read the Bible daily so that we can begin to have the mind of Christ. It's even better if we can take some time to memorize it. And, and believe me, it's not your, just your kids who have the ability to memorize. You and I can too. Be prepared to use the Word of God. Be confident in its reliability. Be confident in its reliability. Don't, don't, don't even get into that argument. Well, I don't believe that it's just men wrote the Word of God. And blah, blah. There are lots of great answers for that. We've taught many times the little thing, the little acrostic U facts. Unity and consistency, fulfilled prophecy, archaeology, uh, canonicity, how we got the books of the Bible we have. Uh, textual criticism, self-testimony, those six lines of evidence for the reliability of the Bible. You can, uh, that's probably on our website if you want to find that. But don't get in an argument by that. You know the Word of God's true, don't you? You know it's reliable. So don't get into that tit for tat. Don't, 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 don't do that. Um, number two, Paul encouraged them not just by the Word of God, but he encouraged them by his faith in the Word of God. He encouraged them because he lived by faith. We must be living by faith, not by sight. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and 7 and verse 7. For we live by faith, not by sight. That is, we believe what you cannot see. We believe in a God you cannot see. We do it by faith. We do it by faith. Paul encouraged them by his faith. We must be living by faith, not by sight. What a difference it makes to others. Uh, let me... <laughs> oh, there's so much. We could be doing this forever. George Mueller. If you don't know who he is, Google him. <laughs> George Mueller, great man of faith had, had uh, uh, orphanages. This is from his biography. One November day when his purse was flat again, he and his staff knelt in the Wilson Street parlor, told God, frankly, they were in trouble. 
After prayer, George got to his feet saying, God will send help, I know it. He turned around and saw a letter lying on the little table. It had come in the post while I had been praying. Mary had slipped in quietly and laid it on the table. George ripped it apart. It contained 10 pounds, English money, okay, enough to cover expenses for at least a week. They had been praying and the letter came and the money came. Another day, the boys' home needed eight pennies to pay the grocer and the baker for dinner that night. There was no other food in the house at all, but the boys' home counted only seven pennies in its till, one penny short. An emergency request went out to the girls' home. Was there anything in the contributor's box? The box was properly rattled. Yes, there certainly was. Then would they open the box? The lid was flipped back and just a single coin tumbled out, a penny. Exactly what the boys' home needed for dinner and nothing more. One Saturday night, there was no bread in any of the three houses for Sunday. A friend came to visit, and unaware of the state of the cupboards, handed George half a sovereign. The friend arrived at 8.30. The store stayed only stayed open only till 9. Is God real? Is God alive? Is his word real? Does he care? Of course he does. One more, one disconsolate evening, George wrote in his diary, unless the Lord send means, sends means before nine o'clock tomorrow morning, his name will be dishonored. At eight o'clock in the morning, a businessman stopped on his way to his office with three shillings. He had walked a half mile out of his way to come around by Wilson Street. Time after time, it happened like that. George Mueller wondered about the sense of humor in sense of humor of God in heaven. Is God real? Yes. You can encourage others by your faith. Well, I'm doing this. One more. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going <laughs> to. These, these people made a difference in my life. These books, they, these people were not, I was not familiar. I didn't live when George Mueller lived. But people like David Wilkerson, people like Charles Sheldon who wrote In His Steps. The people I worked for showed me that God is alive and he's real and he works. I wrote a book, I've read a book titled God's Smuggler by Brother Andrew. It's from the days of the old Soviet Union when Bibles were illegal to own. And he used to take Bibles into behind this, the Iron Curtain. He shares this story. It took me four hours to get across the Romanian border. When I pulled up to the checkpoint on the other side of the Danube, I said to myself, while I'm in luck, only half a dozen cars, this will go swiftly. When 40 minutes had passed and the first car was still being inspected, I thought, poor fellow, they must have found something on him to take so long. But when the car finally left and the next inspection took half an hour too, I began to worry. Literally everything that family was carrying had to be taken out and spread in the ground. Every car in the line was put through the same routine. The fourth inspection lasted for well over an hour. The guards took the driver inside, kept him there while they removed hubcaps, took his engine apart, removed seats. Dear Lord, I said, 
At last, there was just one car ahead of me. What am I going to do? Any serious inspection will show up those Romanian Bibles right away that he had in his vehicle. Lord, I went on. I know that no amount of cleverness on my part can get me through this border search. Dare I ask for a miracle? Let me take some of the Bibles out and leave them. This is a true story, folks. This is a true story. Dare I ask for a miracle? Let me take some of the Bibles out and leave them in the open where they will be seen. Then, Lord, I cannot possibly be depending on my own strength, can I? I will be depending utterly on you. While the last car was going through its chilling inspection, I managed to take several Bibles from their hiding places. It was my turn and, and pile them on the seat beside me. It was my turn. I put the little VW in low gear, inched up to the officer standing at the left side of the road, handed him my papers and started to get out, but his knee was against the door holding it closed. He looked... And my photograph and the passport scribbled something down, shoved the papers back under my nose, and abruptly waved me on. Surely 30 seconds had not passed. I started the engine and inch forward. Was I supposed to pull over out of the way where the car could be taken apart? Was I? Surely I wasn't. I coasted forward, my foot poised above the brake. Nothing happened. I looked out the rear mirror. The guard was waving the next car to a stop indicating to the driver that he had to get out. On I drove a few more yards. The guard was having the driver behind me open the door, the hood of his car, and then I was too far away to doubt that indeed I had made it through that incredible checkpoint in the space of 30 seconds. My heart was racing, not with the excitement of the crossing, but with the excitement of having caught such a spectacular glimpse of God at work. Paul encouraged them by the word of God. He encouraged them by his faith. He encouraged them by his practical common sense. He wasn't a pie-in-the-sky Christian. He encouraged them by his example. God's looking for men, women, and young people who will be all in for him. Are we those people? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for Paul's example. Thank you for the example of your word. May we be that person, all in for you. Who shows others that you are real. And your word is real. And vital and trustworthy. Use us to your glory in the storms of life, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.